Well, good morning, friends. It's, uh, it's a joy to get to be with you uh, this morning. Our team has been so excited to get to gather with you and worship God and hear you singing. Uh, we've heard so much about you and what God is doing in this congregation from over there in the United States. We've heard many things about your faith in Jesus, and it's encouraged our hearts. I'm grateful for Pastor Dave and the elders who have invited me here. It's just a privilege to get to be here. And I know I speak on behalf of our team, but not just our team, but uh, our church back in the States, the Church of Brook Hills, uh, sends greetings to you all in Jesus' name. And so it's kind of like, you know, if you've ever been to a family reunion where you met family members you never knew were part of your family, that's how it feels for us to be here and to get to meet so many of you along the way this week. So uh, what a privilege it is. Thank you for letting us be here. And I'm so grateful, let me just say, about Chris and Leah, I'm so thankful, we're so thankful that they are here and that you have folded them into your fellowship and they've been so strengthened. So thank you for receiving them the way that you have with such grace. All right, we're gonna look at God's word together. So the title of my sermon for this morning is Foundations for Endurance. Foundations for Endurance. So listen to those last words. If you have your Bible open, just look at the end of the passage with me one more time from verse 40, Acts 5, verse 40. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they, that is the apostles, left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. I think one of the most convicting things about reading and studying the book of Acts and seeing the church, the early church there in the book of Acts, is their endurance. And and it's endurance in, in the face of difficulty, it's the endurance in the face of persecution, the places where they went as they went teaching and preaching the word and holding Jesus high, some of those places were, were hostile to the apostles and to the gospel that they proclaimed. It's like they believed the mission of Jesus was unstoppable. And it created this sense of tenacity, of boldness, of courage and zeal. I wonder if you, like me, if you ever reflect on your life and you ever kind of get to a place in your life where you realize, I know I have, where you realize like 90% of my decisions right now in my life seem like they're based on fear. Like I'm, I'm driven by this desire to just be safe, to just be comfortable, and not to lean forward and bring God's word and live for his glory in the world with my brothers and sisters. You ever reflect and realize that that's where you are? I remember a, a, a brother in Christ in the U.S. who wrote a book many years ago that was really helpful to me, and it was about fear. And the name of the book was When People Are Big and God is small. 
And it was his way of saying, sometimes when I, Matt, when I live in fear, what I need is a bigger God. I need a bigger view of how awesome and powerful and in control and sovereign, the very things we were just singing about, that he is that amazing God. And people are actually small. Even people that I think have more power than me, they're actually small. And the God that I serve is very big and glorious. So I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters in Christ, to endure. No matter how hard it gets in your own life, wherever you might live or experiences that you have, I don't want my life and I don't want us as brothers and sisters to play it safe and I don't want us to call it quits. We have a race to endure, the race that is set before us and we're called to run it with fortitude. And there's a, you think about it, there's a fortitude that comes into the Christian life that only comes into the Christian life when our faith is tested. Isn't that true? When our faith is tested, strength, God is working strength into us. So I don't know if any of you have ever tried long-distance running. So I'm new in trying long-distance running, which means I can't run that far before I start to get really tired. But I decided to give it a try a couple of years ago, and just to begin, I had a friend named Dave in the States, and Dave said, I can help you set some goals. I'm not going to run with you, but I'm going to help you set some goals so you can run a little bit further, a little bit further, a little bit faster, a little bit faster. So I began to make very slow, very steady progress until there was a a big day here recently. I was running and running and running further and further and further, and then finally here recently, Dave said to me, it's time for us to run together. And he invited, he said, let's meet up together in a parking lot this coming Saturday. So I met him early in the morning in that parking lot for our very first, we're beginning, we were doing our stretches, you know, and all the things. And while we're doing our stretches, Dave, sort of my running coach, he said, I've been looking at your statistics So we have an app on our phones that allows you, if you sync up on the phones, you can see other people's running, how far they're running, where they're running, how fast they're running, the heart rate, uh, how hard they're pushing it when they're running. And so Dave was looking at my statistics on my runs, and so he's telling me while we're stretching, uh, I know your paces, and I know how far you can run, and so I have determined a running route that I think is gonna be really good for us today. And it was a great running route until we came to um, a street called Beechwood Hill in my city. And I, as soon as I looked up Beechwood Hill, I knew this is going to be a problem. Uh, it's called Beechwood Hill. We're running up, and it took us all of four minutes. Actually, I wrote down the time. It took us three minutes and 52 seconds to run up Beechwood Hill, and it was the most grueling Experience. The first minute and a half, I was doing great. The last two minutes of that, I literally thought I was going to die. Uh, Dave was right in front of me. Dave was quiet. Uh, he was making no sound. He's run 25 marathons. He's making no sound running up. I'm behind him, sounding like I'm going to die, and he's gasping. Every time my foot hits the pavement, I'm breathing in out of my mouth. <gasps> I mean, it was really, it was quite embarrassing. I was trying to hide it, but there was no way to hide it. By the time we're almost up to the top of the hill, uh, I'm no longer thinking good thoughts about my friend Dave. I, uh, I was judging Dave 
uh, on the last part. I thought Dave has come. Dave brought me to Beechwood Hill for me to die, right? I, they're going to put a brick on this street, and it's going to say, Matt Mason died here. Uh, uh, wasn't an athlete. He was a musician. What was he, you know, I don't know what it was going to be written on there, but it was going to be really embarrassing. We finally reached the crest of the hill. We continued running back down it and through different parts of the city. And by the time we were done, my longest run just about uh, at the time, which was eight and a half miles, it was amazing. We finished that eight and a half mile run and it felt so good. And do you know why it felt that good? Because of Beechwood Hill. The, the greatness of the triumph at the end of the run matched the difficulty and agony that we endured in getting up Beechwood Hill. Endurance is not an easy thing, right? There's something the early Christians had and we need it, and it's called endurance. And so I want us to look at God's word, foundations for endurance. Number one, I'll give you three foundations. Number one is this, opposition is expected. We want to endure, we need to realize, expect opposition. If you study the early chapters of the book of Acts, things have been getting harder and harder from chapter 2. The gospel's making more and more progress, but the hostility and difficulty is getting more and more intense. So there's a kind of escalation. So there's mockery in chapter 2. I'm not going to go back and read all those texts, but they're, they're mocked. Are these people drunk, right, in, in chapter 2? And then you move forward. Chapter 4, they arrest two of the apostles and those arrests are accompanied by threats and warnings from the religious leaders. And then you come into chapter 5, and now all 12 apostles have been arrested, and they're not only threatened, but in verse 40, they're physically beaten, right? So things are getting harder. And then you keep reading to chapter 7, and things get even worse. Stephen becomes the first martyr who's killed for the faith. And then you keep reading in chapter 8 and following, and you see the beginnings of this kind of empire-wide persecution of Christians. There's so many places in Scripture where I think you see this truth, that righteousness is rewarded in heaven, but not always on earth. Righteousness is rewarded in heaven, but it's not always rewarded on earth. You think about the book of Psalms. I wonder how many of you love the Psalms. I love the Psalms. And one of the things that draws me to the Psalms over and over is you get to listen to people praying. And you're not just listening to people praying, but very often in the Psalms, you're listening to people crying while they're praying, screaming while they're praying, because it's very hard. Their lives are extremely hard, and you're overhearing them cry out to God and say, help me. I'm in a jam, I'm in a hard spot, I am suffering, I am being oppressed, and I need you to show up, I need you to be my strength. So, so often, sometimes the, the psalmist is saying, God, as far as I can tell, I've been doing the right thing. Where were you today? How long before this changes? Here in Acts, isn't it odd the timing of when the persecution comes. So just look at verse 16. The timing of the arrests and beatings and what happens right before that. Verse 16, the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem 
bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed, verse 17, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. Isn't that interesting? What they were doing right before they got in trouble is healing people. But why would this make the city in their time, why would this make their city angry? You ever stepped out to minister to people, to try to be a blessing to people? You show up in hard places and you reach out to need and the next thing you know, you're, it's like you're running up Beechwood Hill. <laughs> it's really, really difficult and all you were doing the moment before was trying to provide blessing and ministry. Listen, just because you might be sort of struggling to breathe in your Christian walk right now. Struggling to breathe in the race of Christian faith doesn't necessarily mean you've done something wrong. Maybe it's hard because you're running uphill and you haven't stopped running. Maybe it's hard because there you go enduring. There you go persevering and trusting in Jesus, even though it's hard. Maybe, maybe you're breathing so heavily because you haven't quit. And God's pleasure is on your life because you keep clinging to Jesus even while it's hard to breathe. Understand this, brothers and sisters, every work empowered by the Spirit will be opposed by the enemy. I say that again, every work empowered by the Spirit will be opposed by the enemy. In your own life, every step toward sanctification will be opposed by the enemy. Every step toward discipling your family will be opposed by the enemy. Every opportunity to share the good news with other people around you will be opposed by the enemy. There's opposition. The enemy has filled this world with things that will make Christians want to quit. In his book, The Mission of the Triune God, an author named Patrick Schreiner writes this about the purpose of the book of Acts. I find this very encouraging. He writes this. Luke writes, the author of Acts, Luke writes to convince his audience that the bumpy start of the community of God is the plan of God. Luke's audience needs assurance that they're on the right path. In many ways, Acts can be seen as a series of onslaughts of Satan trying to thwart the spread of the word. Ironically, I love this, the onslaughts only propel it forward. Luke therefore reassures Christians of the nature and plan of God. This is the primary purpose of the book of Acts. Matter of fact, this is often observed that Luke, who's written both the book of Acts as well as his first volume, which was the Gospel of Luke, and that it's often pointed out that the same structure is found in both Luke's Gospel as well as in Luke's record of the early community of his followers. It's almost like Luke has written the story of the followers of Jesus in a way that reminds us of the exact path that Jesus took in Luke's Gospel. So what happens in Luke's gospel? I'll just kind of walk this out for you. In Luke's gospel, what you see is the birth of Jesus Christ. You see the baptism of Jesus Christ. You see the Spirit descend upon Jesus. And then you see him in ministry, in signs and wonders. You see him traveling about, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and calling people to repentance and faith. And then in Luke's gospel, how does it end? It's interesting. It ends with this kind of disturbance in the temple 
and then arrests and trials, and then Jesus is bearing witness before kings and nobles. What's interesting is that's Luke's volume number one, the Gospel of Luke. When you read volume number two, what Luke writes about the church, what you see is the same exact thing. The birth of the church. The church is baptized. The Spirit descends upon the disciples of Jesus. Then they're ministering, signs and wonders and healing, traveling about proclaiming the good news, calling people to repentance and faith. We've seen this somewhere. It's always deja vu. It's the very life of Jesus. You come to the end of the book of Acts and what you see? Disturbance in the temple. Arrest and trials, bearing witness before kings and nobles. It's almost like Luke's way of saying to the church, I know it's hard, but this is exactly what Jesus our Lord did. You're not on the wrong path. You're following the Savior. Suffering leads to glory. Keep running. Don't quit now. You're following him. This hardship is designed by the Lord to strengthen your trust in him. What did the Apostle Peter say to the early church as they were running up Beechwood Hill, gasping for air? He said, hey, don't be surprised that it's hard. Don't be surprised by the fiery trial as if something strange were happening. You're on the path. You're enduring. So number one, opposition is expected. Number two, foundation for endurance is obedience is required. Obedience is required. There's a conflict between two voices that are recognized as authoritative in our passage. We, we, at, our, at our church um, in Alabama, one of the things that we do at the close of every one of our worship gatherings is we all stand together and we put the Great Commission, the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 28, we put it on the screen, and everyone, men, women, children, we all recite those words from Jesus that he said to his disciples. It's not, it's not the great request. It's the great commission. There's a king above every earthly king, and as we leave our gatherings, we listen to the king's command ringing in our ears on our way out of the church gathering. Go and make disciples among all the nations because I have all authority is what Jesus says in the Great Commission. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. It's it's a commissioning. Paul would say this about the authority of Jesus. He is the image. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. No one has jurisdiction over Jesus. He is the ultimate king and ruler at the Father's right hand. So when Jesus says, I have all authority, go and make this good news known in every nation, who can revoke that command? No one. There's no one higher than Jesus. And that explains what we see in verse 27. So they brought them in, And they set them before the council and the high priest, so here's one authority, right? The high priest questioned them saying, we charged you, we told you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, 
We must obey God rather than men. Uh, Isn't that boldness encouraging? That grit, that perseverance. There is a king who outranks all the rulers of the world, and his command is every people on earth must hear this good news. Our God calls us to this, this good news about the Savior, Jesus Christ, the God-man, and the, the central message of the Bible, which gathers around the person and work of Jesus Christ, right? Jesus, who lived a sinless life. You know this message. We were singing this message. It's at the heart of the gatherings of God's people. Jesus lived a sinless life. He worked miracles that testified to his identity and the nature of his coming kingdom, a kingdom of righteousness, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of joy, Jesus Christ died a substitutionary, wrath-absorbing death so that all who repent and believe, I hope this room is filled with people who have repented and believed, and I hope more will repent and believe, whether today or in coming days, so that those who repent and believe might be reconciled to God, made right with God, and given unshakable hope and an unstoppable mission. And where is that unstoppable mission headed in the future? It will culminate with the white hot worship of Jesus Christ among every people on earth. Won't that day be amazing? To to us, to our church family who's come over here, this day looks a lot more like that day than what we usually experience as I look all around this room and just see nations represented. Oh, such a preview of the glory of what will be to come when all together we will sing the praises of the Lamb who died for us. (laughs) So we recite the Great Commission every Sunday so that we hear the King's words ringing in our ears as we leave. Words of command, go and make disciples, and words of assurance not just command-centered, it's assurance-centered. How, how do you hear assurance in the Great Commission? I am with you always. Obedience is expected. But doesn't it beg the question, how, how would we know and obey God's leading apart from God's word? You ever think about that? How would we know how to obey our Lord and Savior if we did not have his word? You know, it's easy to get confused about your purpose in this world. Easy for me to get confused about my truest identity and my truest purpose. I I can justify, I'll just talk from my own experience. I can justify a lot of things by saying, God is leading me to do this or to do that. But if I claim the Spirit of God is leading me to disobey the Word of God, I'm deceiving myself. The better we know, here's the point, the better we know God's Word, the better we know God's will. The better we know God's Word, the better we know God Himself, the God who made us in His image, the better we know Him Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our triune God. What we need, living in this world as we do, is God's voice louder in our ears than every other voice in the world. We need God's word in our ears clarifying which way is up 
what's true, what's false, clarifying why he made us. That God in his word, essentially he speaks, as it were, to us. And he says, son, daughter, this is who you are. This is who I am, and this is who you are. This over here, this is a broken cistern. You drink from this, and you'll still be thirsty. God clarifies, right? This it's almost as God speaks in his word. He says, this right here that you're experiencing, this is a hill, and you're called to not quit as you run up this in the midst of trials and suffering. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be moments where you're inhaling and maybe even gasping, but when you stand at the finish line, it's going to be glorious. And this, as God says in his word, oh, how, how the Spirit loves to illuminate Jesus from the pages of Scripture. God says on every page of the Bible, and this is Jesus. The law and the prophets pointed to him. The promises of God are yes in him. Your purpose is to make him known and to teach the nations to observe all that he has commanded. Foundations for endurance. Number one, opposition is expected. Number two, obedience is required. And number three, omnipotence prevails. Omnipotence prevails. So wonderful, long word in the Christian faith, omnipotence. It just means he has all the power. No one has more power than he does. So in the realm of um, parenting, we, my wife and I had our firstborn, who is now 24 years old. We had our firstborn, and uh, once Hunter came into the world, that's his name, Hunter, once he came into the world, uh, my wife and I, were, we felt pretty confident. Uh, we felt like we're going to crush this. I think we're going to be amazing parents. We read all the books that we're supposed to read, and now that he's here, uh, I mean, it's, it's just going to be great. He's going to be a great kid. He's going to be super obedient. Uh, he'll sleep at night. Uh, he'll, he'll stay on a schedule. He'll eat what we hand to him. You know, it's just, it's going to be amazing, right? So, the moment Paula got pregnant, we started ordering all the parenting books, you know, and those, a lot of those parenting books basically just said, here's how you do it, right? Here, here's what you can do to quickly turn your baby into a sharing, happy, schedule-keeping human until we realized all those books were filled with lies. Not, not a word of it was true, right? The, um, Hunter comes into the world, and he, it's like he laughed at all the books we'd read, and he didn't even laugh at those books on schedule. He laughed at 2 a.m. and then at 3 a.m. and then at 4 a.m. and then he didn't want to eat when he was supposed to. It's just one after another. And so we're like, this tiny human's more powerful than both of us. <laughs> it can be frustrating, right? You talk about frustration. The human authorities in Acts chapter 5, it's got to be frustrating. Stop preaching, they say. And the narrator, Luke, says, but they kept preaching. <laughs> Stop preaching or I'll throw you in jail. And the narrator says, an angel let them out of jail. And they went back to preaching. <laughs> After this flogging, you're going to leave in pain, but you'll be ready to obey us. And the narrator says, they left, verse 1, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer and they kept preaching. It's got to be frustrating. No matter what they did to stop them from preaching and to get them to stop rejoicing, they kept preaching 
and rejoicing and preaching, proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Christian, no matter where you end up living out your mission as a follower of Jesus, take heart. God's purposes in our lives and in his world are unstoppable. They're unstoppable. I think we have a hard time believing this in our everyday lives. That we, we say we know that God is in control until we look outside, until we watch the news, and then we start doubting, don't we? Am I the only one? We start doubting. David Wells, a Christian writer, said this, reading today's how-to literature, one has to draw the conclusion that the church's days are numbered unless we rush in to prop it up with our know-how. God, you see, has more on his hands than he can handle. We look like the soldiers of some sorry nation that are very brave when they are safe in their protected barracks, but at the first sight of the enemy, lay down their arms and run. The truth is that there is nothing in our world that is a serious threat or an insurmountable obstacle to the will of God. Oh, how encouraging that is. And that's true. Those words are true because God is God. Because he is sovereign. The one who is sovereign is the one who gets to be called God. It's God's favorite attribute because it means he gets to be what he is. He's in charge. He will accomplish his purposes. The persecuted church in Acts 4, they, they were thinking about, so it, one chapter ago, they're, they're being afflicted and arrested and trials and all of this, right? And they're thinking about a psalm. You know what psalm they're thinking about? Psalm 2, how the Gentiles rage and how God sits in heaven seeing the nations raging against the movement of God's kingdom and God is in heaven laughing. <laughs> He's not scared. He's not intimidated. Doesn't mean it's easy running uphill, but the glory that awaits us will outweigh the hardship we endured getting there. My friend Dave, back on that legendary Saturday, my friend Dave started our race by saying, Matt, I've studied your endurance, and I've got a race for you. And Dave was a pro, 25 marathons. He knew running. He had forgotten more about running than I'll ever know about running, and he chose the race. Why would we fear the pain and hardship of running uphill when God chose the hill? He is all-knowing, he is all-powerful, and he will be with us. John Newton is probably my favorite historical figure. He wrote the great hymn, Amazing Grace. He's an amazing testimony of God saving him, pulling him out of the slave trade and so forth. And one area where John Newton's ministry shines is, is the way he tries to motivate tired believers by reminding them of the blessed hope. Newton writes, 
When we get safely home, we shall not complain that we have suffered too much in the way. We shall not say, is this all I must expect after so much trouble? One sight of Jesus as he is will fill our hearts and dry up all our tears. Brother, sister in Christ, in the midst of what's hard, don't lose your hope. You have foundations, rock-solid foundations to stay in it. Opposition is expected. Don't be surprised. Obedience is required. The Savior and Lord has spoken, and omnipotence prevails. Let's pray. Oh, God, you are so good and so faithful. Thank you for the truth that we have seen in your glorious word. Thank you for the truth that we have sung leading up to our time of studying your word, that we can come to you with weakness, with hardship. You welcome us. Thank you for the glory of the incarnation that you came to us, Lord Jesus. And we pray that these truths that we've looked at in your word would sustain every heart, every believer. We pray that perhaps those who have never truly repented and believed and put their trust in Jesus, that you would allow them to see their need for the Savior and to run to him, turning from sin and trusting in Jesus and his cross. Equip us for the long race that we have ahead of us. And thank you for your promise that you will be with us always to the end of the age. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.